You ain't heard nothing yet. Get around looking at the picture. What am I going to do? Frankly, my dear, I'm going to make him an offer. You talking to me? Stay out of the train! I don't know who you are. Why so sick? When I'm good, I'm very good. Simple. But when I'm bad, I'm better. He's the Call me Mr. Oh, boy's best friend is his mother. You have no style. You Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Hello, and welcome back to the Tinsel Factory. My name is Caitlin, and I'm your host. Well, another week has come and gone in post-quarantine Los Angeles. I now get tan even when it's extremely overcast, so I guess I need to just start wearing sunscreen 24-7. It's a problem I'm happy to have, but a problem nonetheless. I have got the absolute funkiest tan lines right now. It's ridiculous. Anyway, let's start off with the good stuff. This week on Two Sentence Movie Reviews of Movies I Saw in a Movie Theater. Just one this week, because the big release from this weekend, taking up all the movie theaters, I refuse to go see for a multitude of reasons. One, I don't care much for gratuitous car chases, so a movie that's basically gratuitous car chases, not for me. And the other reason I won't go see this movie is personal, and if I set it in a public way like this, would probably prevent me from getting work in town, so I'm going to keep my little mouth shut. Before this week, I just saw The Sparks Brothers, which is a documentary by filmmaker Edgar Wright and is basically being marketed as the documentary about the biggest band you've never heard of, Sparks. I knew a little bit about this band. They kind of sound like if Queen did comedy music, and I love Queen. And this documentary was a really fun introduction to this band. It does lag a little bit in the middle, and two and a half hours is probably a little much for someone who isn't a fan of theirs. But I've been listening to their music while I've proofread this script. So I guess it did its job because, like, I'm a fan now. Like, I, I like them. They're pretty, they're weird. This film's not necessarily one you need to see in a theater, but definitely something you should check out if you have even a passing interest in music history. It's also a fantastic documentary. Now on to the reason you probably clicked on this episode. For the final week of Boulevard of Broken Dreams, we're going to look at the life and tragic death of River Phoenix, a young actor who rose from the ashes of a chaotic childhood only to burn out in his young adult years. I could do multiple episodes on River and his family as he's one of my favorite actors. And reducing it to a palatable amount of time for this episode was quite a challenge. Unlike Elizabeth Short, who never worked as an actress, or Peg Entwistle and Jonathan Brandis, who were facing declines in their acting careers, River Phoenix died at the height of his career on the street outside of an L.A. nightclub. With that, let's take our places. It's showtime. There's a hole in the ozone so life's worth giving up and when I do now. Forgive me, it's not that I've lost Cause in a way, well, I've been winning Will you respond if I limp in? Welcome me back with a marching band River Phoenix was born River Jude Bottom in an Oregon log cabin on August 23rd, 1970. The first son of a family that would eventually welcome four more children. River was named after the River of Life from the novel Siddhartha by Herman Hess. River would later describe his parents as hippie-ish, and his early childhood was quite nomadic. 
His parents had even met while his mother was hitchhiking. As River got older, he would play guitar while his younger sister would sing so they could make money for the family, whom, according to River, lived in, quote, desperate situations. In 1973, the family joined the Children of God, which has since been labeled as a cult. Children of God, for those of you not super into cults like some people talking right now, was the one that was like anti-capitalist. The adults didn't really work except to like earn money that was like just to survive. And also the children didn't go to school. As missionaries to the children of God, the Bottoms lived in Texas, Mexico, Puerto Rico, before eventually relocating to Caracas, Venezuela, where the family worked as fruit pickers. The children would continue playing music on the street corner to attract potential converts and hand out pamphlets. Later, the Children of God doctrine expanded to beliefs that everybody should have sex with everybody, regardless of age or relationship status. Again, if you're familiar with cults at all, the the buzzword you probably are most familiar with this cult is flirty fishing, which was essentially when the young, attractive female members of the cult would flirt and other things with people to get them to join the cult. This shift in doctrine, which the founder of the group's daughter would later refer to as, quote, religious prostitution, disillusioned the bottom family. They would escape from the children of God, but ended up stranded in Caracas. River and Rain would pay for the family's room and board at a local Catholic church by playing guitar for services. Eventually, they managed to return to the United States, where River's father, John, changed the family's surname to Phoenix. The family had managed to rise from the ashes of the depravity of the children of God, after all. The family spent a short time in Florida, where River and some of the other children performed in talent shows and started to attract attention for their musical and acting abilities. River Phoenix never attended a formal school. His talents did, however, catch the attention of Paramount Pictures in Hollywood, whom instructed them to drop in if the family ever found themselves in Los Angeles. The Phoenixes settled in Los Angeles sometime in like 1979-1980, where River's mother worked as a secretary for NBC and his father as an exteriors architect. The four youngest Phoenix siblings would continue to sing on the street for spare change, which led to talent agent Iris Burton spotting River and young siblings Joaquin, Summer, and Rain singing for spare change on the west side of Hollywood. She was so charmed by the family that she soon represented the four siblings. River's career began how most child actors did back then, with television commercials, including ones for Mitsubishi and Ocean Spray. In 1980, River made his first appearance on a TV show called Fantasy, singing with his sister Rain. A role in the short-lived television show Seven Brides for Seven Brothers soon followed. River played the youngest brother in the show, which only lasted for one season. River's rise to household name status included several other television series and television movies. One of the most acclaimed for the young actor at this time was the ABC after-school special Backwards, The Riddle of Dyslexia. All this work would culminate in the 14-year-old being cast in Explorers, his feature film debut. River played boy scientist Wolfgang Mueller, and the film released in the summer of 1985. His next film, though, would be the one that turned him into a star. Maybe I was sorry and I tried to give it back. Tried to give it back? Maybe. Just maybe. And maybe I took it to old lady Simons and told her, and the money was all there. But I still got a three-day vacation because it never showed up. Maybe the next week, old lady Simons had this brand new sugar on when she came to school. Yeah, yeah, it was brown and had dots on it. Yeah. 
So let's just say that I stole the milk money, but old lady Simon stole it back from me. Just suppose that I told the story. Me, Chris Chambers, kid brother to eyeball Chambers. Do you think that anyone would have believed it? Oh. And do you think that that bitch would have dared tried something like that if it had been one of those douchebags from up on The View if they had taken the money? No way. Hell no. But with me? I'm sure she had her eye on that skirt for a long time. Anyway, she saw her chance and she took it. I was the stupid one for even trying to give it back. I just never thought. I never thought a teacher. Oh, so fuck anyway. Soon after being cast in Explorers, River landed another part in the film that would ultimately change his and his family's lives. If you're familiar with him at all, it's likely the first film you think of if you hear his name. That movie, of course, is Stand By Me. River played the role of Chris Chambers in the quintessential coming-of-age film. I mean, the film is like an icon. It's like an iconic film. It's one of those movies you like have to watch as a teenager. I'm sure most of you have probably seen it. If you haven't, watch it. It's incredible. And it's not a surprise that the film was a smashing success and audiences were drawn to the soulful portrayal River gave in the film. He's got that existential agony face that always seems to draw in the teenage girls. Like, if you watch it, you cannot believe that kid is 14 years old. I mean, obviously he looks 14 years old, but like... Just The way he acts and the way he speaks and the way he carries himself is just decades beyond those 14 years. It's it's amazing. Co-star Will Wheaton, whom played the lead in the film, would later be quoted remembering River as one of the kindest people he'd ever met. I watched a ton of interviews of his co-stars over the years in the last week or so and over the years, and this seems to be pretty much the unanimous ruling. That and the fact that he was a raw, unbridled talent. With this newfound attention, River soon became an advocate for animal rights and the environment and human rights and basically any injustice he saw in the world. He was a vegan and famously cried in a restaurant when his girlfriend at the time had ordered fish. He spoke passionately about the causes he championed in interviews and in doing so became a poster boy for them. This squeaky clean image that came out of this was something River would beat his head against for the rest of his life. His mother would later claim that he wished he could be anonymous, but for River, that ship had sailed. In 1986, River completed The Mosquito Coast. Directed by Peter Weir, River played the son of Harrison Ford's character. Weir believed he had a young star on his hands. The film also had kind of interesting parallels to River's family's early life, as the film is about a family that leaves the United States and tries to find a happier and simpler life in the jungles of Central America. Their jungle paradise, however, quickly turns into a nightmare as the patriarch, played by Ford's, behavior becomes increasingly erratic and aggressive. In real life, River's father John was in the throes of alcoholism. 
While the film would be panned upon its release, Stunning River, as the actor thought the role was his best performance to date, something else did come out of the five-month shoot in Belize. River and co-star Martha Plimpton began dating, a relationship that would be on and off for the next several years. River next appeared in the teen comedy drama A Night in the Life of Jimmy Reardon in 1988, a role he famously was not happy with. Little Nikita followed the same year. River's movie career was generating most of the income for his family, so he kept doing it, but it has been stated by many close friends and family members that his true passion was always music. He had begun teaching himself guitar at age five and had stated in an interview for E! in 1988 that his family's move to Los Angeles when he was nine was so that he and his sister, quote, could become recording artists. I fell into commercials for financial reasons and acting became an attractive concept. One of River's first big purchases was a $650 guitar with which he wrote what he described as, quote, progressive ethereal folk rock. While working on A Night in the Life of Jimmy Reardon in 86, River wrote and recorded the song Heart to Get, specifically for the end credits of the movie. 20th Century Fox cut it from the completed film, but director William Rocher put it back into place for his director's cut some years later. Soon, River would secure a two-year development deal with a recording label. He disliked the idea of being a solo artist and relished collaboration. Therefore, he focused on putting together a band. Alica's Attic was formed in 1987, and the lineup included his sister, Rain. The band was together for about five years before disbanding in 1992. The Phoenix family continued to move on a regular basis, relocating over 40 times by the time River was 18. When his father became consumed with alcoholism, River essentially became the patriarch of his family. Wanting to put down roots... He purchased a ranch in Gainesville, Florida, as well as a spot in Costa Rica for he and his family to finally settle in. River would spend much of his time, when not on set, with his family in Florida. River's next acting role was as Danny Pope in 1990's Running on Empty. 18-year-old River received the best reviews of his career and earned a Golden Globe and Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actor. At the time, he was the sixth youngest actor to be nominated in that category. A journalist asked him on the red carpet at the Oscars that year, quote, It's easy to get caught up in the Hollywood hoopla, isn't it? Mm, not for me it isn't, River replied. A small role in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade rounded out 1990, in which River played young Indiana Jones in the opening sequence. In 1991, River was involved in an acclaimed independent film called Dogfight. The film was a romantic coming-of-age drama set in San Francisco, in which he played a young U.S. Marine on the night before he is shipped off to Vietnam in November 1963. River's co-star, Lily Taylor, later stated about River and his attachment to the character, saying, quote, that was actually a hard part for him because it was so radically different from who he was. He was such a hippie, and here he was playing this Marine. It actually caused him a lot of discomfort. I don't think he enjoyed that, actually, getting into that psyche. At this time, she also mentioned, River was only drinking. Hard drugs were still on the horizon for the young actor. River's next big role was in Gus Van Zandt's independent classic film, My Own Private Idaho. River played Mike Waters, a young male hustler whom befriends Scott Favor, played by Keanu Reeves, as they embark on a journey of self-discovery. River and Reeves became very close on the film as River's drinking came to include harder drugs. Gus Van Sant also became a close friend of Rivers during the production of Idaho and eventually wrote the book Pink about him. 
In the book, Van Sant clearly states that Phoenix was not a regular drug user, but only an occasional one, and that the actor had a more serious problem with alcohol. River had always tried to hide his addictions because he feared that they might ruin his career, as they did some of his other relationships. Rising problems aside, River worked on the espionage film Sneakers, which came out in 92. He made a cameo appearance in Van Sant's next film, Even Cowgirls Get the Blues, in 93, which co-starred his sister Rain. River then starred in a country music-themed film, The Thing Called Love, in 93, which would be the last completed picture before his death. Phoenix began a relationship with co-star Samantha Mathis on the set. River was three quarters of the way through what would be his last role when tragedy struck. I've been doing this since I was two. I don't know any other way. I just wanted to tell you that I was sorry. I wanted to explain why I can't talk about a lot of things. Like college. I can't go to college. I can't leave them. And I wanted to tell you why I couldn't be with you. Not without your knowing. I didn't want to lie to you. Now, I have no right in telling this to you. It's dangerous for you, and it's dangerous for them. I'm sorry. I just couldn't stop myself. You can do what you want to. You can tell your dad anything. I don't care. I just needed you to know. I don't know what I'm doing. In late 1993, Phoenix was in Los Angeles for one day. After flying back from eight weeks of shooting his next film, Dark Blood, in New Mexico and Utah. He had three weeks of shooting left before the film would be wrapped. Musician and future drug counselor Bob Forrest, who was a good friend of Rivers and was present on the night he died, wrote in his 2013 memoir, Running With Monsters, one of the more detailed accounts of Phoenix's last days and the moments leading up to his death, which is what I'm pulling mostly from for the following information. There are several slightly different versions of what happened that night, but Forrest's, at least to me, incorporates most of what everyone remembered, so I'm going to run with it. On the evening of October 3rd, 1993, Phoenix was to perform with the band P, which featured two members of the Red Hot Chili Peppers and actor Johnny Depp at the Viper Room, a Hollywood nightclub partly owned at the time by Depp. Forrest claims that River and John Frushanti, one of the Red Hot Chili Pepper members, arrived at the club with River's girlfriend Samantha Mathis his brother Joaquin and sister Rain, along with Flea, who's also one of the Red Hot Chili Pepper guys and P member, and of course, Johnny Depp. After they arrived, cocaine was allegedly passed around. Forrest claimed that River was already high by the time he'd arrived at the Viper Room and was, as he put it, quote, unsteady as a boxer who had taken one too many headshots during a 15-round bout. He also claimed in the days leading up to this that the other members of the group had been on a multi-day drug binge, quote, first smoke crack or shoot coke directly into a vein for that 90-second electric brain bell jangle, then shoot heroin to get a grip and come down enough to be able to carry on a conversation for a few minutes before you start the cycle again. Despite these claims, no needle tracks or drugs in River's nasal cavity were found during his autopsy. John Frushanti was also fingered as giving River a cup of something that, quote, would make him feel amazing and even secluded himself in fear of impending charges over what happened next. None were ever filed. 
During the performance by P, Forrest said that River tapped him on the shoulder to tell him he was not feeling well and that he thought he had overdosed. Forrest told River that he didn't think that he was overdosing because he could stand and talk. Nonetheless, he offered to take him home, but River declined, saying he was feeling better. A few moments later, Forrest said that a commotion erupted in the club and he went outside to find Samantha Mathis screaming as River was lying on the sidewalk convulsing. Joaquin would be the one to call 911 and the call would play in documentaries for years to come and Rain proceeded to give her brother mouth-to-mouth resuscitation while they waited for paramedics. When the ambulance finally arrived, River was still alive. The paramedics performed life-saving methods, but when those failed, they loaded him up in the ambulance. Later, one of the drivers claimed that there was nothing they could do by that point. He was pretty much already a goner. Flea, whom had reportedly leapt from the stage when he got wind of his friend ODing, was the one that rode with him to Cedar sinai Medical Center, which is less than five minutes away from the club by ambulance. Further attempts to resuscitate River at the hospital were unsuccessful. He was pronounced dead at 1.51 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the morning of October 31st, 1993, at the age of just 23. The following day, the club had become a makeshift shrine and remains to be one this day, with fans and mourners leaving flowers, pictures, and candles on the sidewalk, as well as graffiti messages on the wall of the venue. A sign was placed in the window that read, quote, With much respect and love to River and his family, the Viper Room is temporarily closed. Our heartfelt condolences to all his family, friends, and loved ones. He will be missed. The club remained closed for two weeks. Johnny Depp continued to close the club every year on October 31st until he sold his share in 2004. Because of the club's clientele, paparazzi were usually not far away. In this case, one such paparazzo saw the 23-year-old convulsing on the sidewalk, and instead of taking a picture that would have likely made him a very rich man, instead he tried to help. He was only a year or two younger than River himself. He was later jeered by his colleagues and fellow paparazzos. A photo like that would have allowed him to retire. But Moderna queen herself, Dolly Parton, whom had heard what this man did, putting morals over money to help out his fellow man, hired him to do multiple photo shoots for hers over the years. It completely changed his life. And photographer Ron Davis would also become an anti-paparazzi advocate after the death of Princess Diana. Unfortunately, not everyone had this moral compass, as very, very tasteless photos of River in his casket at his memorial were sold to the tabloids. Phoenix's body was cremated in Gainesville, Florida at the Malam Funeral Home. Following his death, his sister Rain took over all of River's music recordings and writings. Over the years, she's posted a few of them up on YouTube. Over the years, those whom were present that evening have come out with further information, slight alternate versions about what happened that fateful evening. In 2018, around the time of the 25th anniversary of River's death, Samantha Mathis said that she and River had originally only intended to drop off his siblings at the Viper Room on the way to her house, but River decided to stay for a while after he was asked to perform with the band. He claimed that during their time dating, she had known him to be sober, but quote, In the days before he died, I knew something was going on. I didn't see anyone doing drugs that night, but he was high in a way that made me feel uncomfortable. She also added that, quote, The heroin that killed him didn't happen until he was in the Viper Room. I have my 
my suspicions about what was going on, but I didn't see anything. Mathis stated that she went to the bathroom and on her way back to the table, saw Phoenix apparently engaged in a scuffle with another person. The bouncers removed both men from the club. Mathis shouted at the other man, what have you done? What are you on? Only to be told by another person, quote, leave him alone. You're spoiling his high. By that point, according to her account, River had fallen to the ground and began to convulse. Before his death, River's image, one he bemoaned about in interviews, had been pristine, squeaky clean, owing in part to his public dedication to his various social, political, humanitarian, and dietary causes that weren't super popular in the late 1980s, 1990s. His death was the antithesis of all of those things that he preached in the eyes of the media and therefore elicited a vast amount of coverage from the media. Some outlets very tastefully also thought it would be funny to refer to him as, quote, the vegan James Dean. The November 15th, 1993 autopsy found that, quote, toxicology studies showed high concentrations of morphine and cocaine in the blood, as well as other substances in smaller concentrations. The official cause of death was ruled as acute multiple drug intoxication, including cocaine and morphine, a combo typically known as a speedball. Eight times the lethal limit were found in his body. On November 24th, 1993, Rivers' mother Arlen, who later changed her name to Hart, published an open letter in the LA Times on her son's life and death. It read in part, quote, His friends, co-workers, and the rest of our family know that River was not a regular drug user. He lived at home in Florida with us and was almost never a part of the club scene in Los Angeles. He had just arrived in L.A. from the pristine beauty and quietness of Utah, where he was filming for six weeks. We feel that the excitement and energy of the Halloween nightclub and party scene were way beyond his usual experience and control. How many other beautiful young souls who remain anonymous to us have died by using drugs recreationally? It is my prayer that Rivers leaving in this way will focus the attention of the world on how painfully the spirits of his generation are being worn down. River made such a big impression during his life on Earth. He found his voice and found his place. If River's passing opens our global heart, then I say, thanks, dear, beloved son, for yet another gift to all of us. In 2020, Joaquin, his baby brother, named his firstborn son after his beloved older brother, River. Joaquin throughout his life has carried on his brother's causes, even using his platform during the 2019 award season to share them. You'll hear a section of his acceptance speech from the Oscars at the next break. River was a -a once-in-a-generation talent, a beautiful soul whom was taken away far before his time. Every time I watch a River Phoenix movie, I always wonder, you know, what his career would have looked like had he lived and had he gotten to have one of the long, illustrious career that he was robbed of. But what we do have is a group of soulful performances that will endure for as long as people watch movies. It's just a shame there weren't decades more. We fear the idea of personal change because we think that we have to sacrifice something to give something up. But human beings at our best are so inventive and creative and ingenious. And I think that when we use love and compassion as our guiding principles, we can create, develop, and implement systems of change that are beneficial to all sentient beings and to the environment. Now, I've been... I've been a scoundrel in my life. I've been selfish. 
have been cruel at times, hard to work with, and ungrateful, but so many of you in this room have given me a second chance. And I think that's when we're at our best, when, when we support each other, not when we cancel each other out for past mistakes, but when we help each other to grow, when we educate each other, when we guide each other towards redemption. That is the best of humanity. I just, I want to, um, when he, when, when, when he was, when he was, when he was 17, my brother wrote this lyric. He said, run to the rescue with love and peace will follow. Thank you. And that's going to do it for this week. If there's anything you'd like me to cover in the future, please reach out on social media where I also post photos for each episode. At Tinsel Factory Pod on Instagram, at Tinsel underscore Factory on Twitter, on Facebook at the Tinsel Factory, or you can always email me at tinselfactorypod at gmail.com. I'm relying on word of mouth to get this podcast out there. I am a independent podcast. I need the word of mouth. I don't have agents or a crazy budget to do marketing. I need you guys. So if you could please rate, review, and subscribe so that other people can find this podcast, that would be a crazy big help. In order to keep making this podcast, I've also set up a support page, the link of which you can find in the show notes. If you'd like to help out in any way, I would very much appreciate it. I've also got some merch. Check it out, the link in the show notes. I'm hoping I'm going to get a couple new designs up there in the next few weeks. Next week, we're kicking off a new theme. For July, it's going to be all about famous Hollywood feuds. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, that's a wrap.